Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 39. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco, California. Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. So a sweep, man. A sweep. I didn't, I didn't even want to talk about it. I know, but I, I brought it up. It. You did bring I'm, it up right before I'm we started recording. But, you know. The San Francisco Giants swept the Los Angeles Dodgers to move incredibly right back to where they were in last place in the NOS. But that's fine because that was a really fun home sweep. Yeah. How many games back are they still right now? Uh, roughly, like well, by the time this year. Four or five? It'll probably be about five or six. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, probably. <laughs> well, we got to now come play uh, in your home turf here on starting Monday. So. Really? They're playing back-to-back? We play three straight this weekend, mm-hmm. and then three straight next week. We have uh, 79 straight games. Nine straight? Wow. Yeah, we, cool. go, we go Dodgers, Rockies, Dodgers. Wow. Always exciting, though. And the Rockies are also sharing the lead, right, yeah. in the NL West? They are. That's All right. So if you hadn't picked up what we were talking about, uh, National League Baseball here in the West Coast, we a are. big old rivalry between the Dodgers and the Giants. Even better than that, what just happened, and hopefully it's still going well by the time this airs, but the Warriors yes. in an incredible comeback yes. last night against the Pelicans uh, just won for the ages, down 21 points in the third Going into the fourth quarter, brought it all the way back. Game-tying three-pointer by Steph Curry, and then an overtime win. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, I was following that. And it was funny because I was actually following it online through Twitter because I wasn't actually watching the game, but I was seeing the back and forth. And most of these people are like, incredible. And you're like, you catch wind when people are starting to talk about something that's just amazing. You go in and start checking in, and I heard about that performance. So congratulations to the Warriors. Hopefully they'll continue their run absolutely, and uh, bring home a championship, which would be really nice. Had they ever won a championship? They have, but not as the San Francisco Warriors. Oh, okay. Okay. They, as, they moved. Where were they before? They were originally based out of Philadelphia, actually, ah, and hmm. uh, then moved to uh, San Francisco. They were San Francisco Warriors, and then became the Golden State Warriors. So, and they they went, were, yeah. so from the city of brotherly love to the city, to city by the bay. By the bay, yeah. yeah. Well, not a nice move. And uh, only won one other championship. They won in 1975. Wow. I'm just amazed. You've got all this knowledge in your so head about Warrior basketball. That's amazing. You know? You're really... Defle- I definitely don't study before these things. You do put that on your resume, I hope. Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. The back page is just the Wikipedia article for Golden <laughs> State Warriors. <laughs> okay, great. Well, way to go, Eli. Thank you. Well, Eli, today we have a very special guest, uh, Nora Denley, who's the Senior Research Analyst at Limera. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that may not know, Hearsay Social is actually one of Limera's elite strategic partners. So we have a great relationship with the Limera organization. We support them, support their member companies. We've participated at the uh, social media summits and conferences that they actually have. Uh, Last couple years have been in Boston. Yep. This year they're coming to San Francisco, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, we invited Nora to have a conversation because she had written a briefing in talking about supporting social media. So they did an, an analysis where they actually surveyed about 36 different member companies just to find out exactly what they're doing to support social media, how it's growing, and what were some of the stipulations, and very specifically some of the ways that these organizations are supporting social media and where they're finding success. 
And Victor, just so all our listeners know, what does LIMRA stand for? Well, it used to stand for the Life Insurance Marketing and Research Association. But uh, I think they went away from that, so it's now just LIMRA. Okay, so like the SATs. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So we uh, had a discussion with Nora. We actually wrote a blog post about the study, and you can find that on our website. We'll also include a link on the show notes. And that was entitled, LIMRA Study Reveals How Financial Brands Can Help Advisors with Social Media. So we sat down, had a call. She was calling in from Connecticut. So without further ado, here we are with Nora Denley, Senior Research Analyst with LIMRA. So joining us on the telephone from Connecticut is Nora Denley from the Limera organization. So welcome, Nora. Welcome. Hi, how are you guys? We're doing well. So we're so excited to have you on the show because just recently, as we had talked about in the introduction, uh, Limera had released this research briefing, taking a look at how organizations in the financial services industry are really supporting social media. So we're excited to talk about that. Uh, but just to give our listeners a little bit more background on yourself and your organization, can you please tell us about yourself and your current role? Sure thing. Um, I am a researcher at LIMRA. I've been here for about four years. I worked in hotel research prior to that, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> Switching from linens to life insurance was kind of fun. Um, we do research in distribution and technology. We recently moved our technology over towards the distribution area simply because there's so much technology involved in how we distribute our products. Specifically, I work on social media, big data, emerging technology, and even things like contact centers because of the technology involved there. Mm -hmm. So for those listeners who may be unfamiliar with LIMR as the organization, um, and we've talked about this before in previous podcasts, so I think most of our listeners are, are fairly aware. But you, can you share a little bit of background on LIMRA for those that may be not as familiar as we are? Sure. LIMRA is a worldwide research organization for insurance and the financial services industry. And we provide research for our members who represent more than 850 insurance and financial services companies across, like, 64 countries. Our members use our data for increasing their marketing and the distribution effectiveness. And what may be relevant to your audience is we have a number of conferences, including our social media conference for financial services, mm -hmm. where we have our Silver Bowl Awards, too. Right. Yes, we're very familiar with the Silver Bowl Awards. I think Michael was on stage when you presented them last year in Boston. Yes. And uh, yes. as you know, we are extremely excited because this year, the uh, social media conference that you guys are putting together is going to be here in our hometown in San Francisco in August. I know. It should be exciting. I've never been there. Yeah, so it's, a, it's well, you're going to love it. Um, and, and, and make sure you reach out to us in advance. We'll be able to tell you all the good places to go. Eli lives in the city, so he knows this place inside and out. Getting there. Excellent. Getting there. <laughs> <laughs> know most of it. Yeah, so the social media conference uh, taking place here in San Francisco will be in August, August 19th through the 21st. We are going to be participating, as we yep. do. And we're really looking forward to having and hosting a whole bunch of people coming out from all over the country to uh, participate in this event, which is always very popular. As a matter of fact, I think I shared with, uh, with Nora, and I know Eli's aware, that one of our first podcasts was with Stephen Selby in Boston. So if you're interested in checking that out, uh, you can go back to episode number three, mm -hmm. which is one of our first episodes. I and mean, we learned a lot since then. 
but come a, uh, we've come a little ways. We've come yeah. a ways a little bit, you know. So we're really excited about having you out in San Francisco. Okay, so I wanted to switch gears here to talk about the research briefing that uh, you had released in February on the support of social media. Uh, can you share a little bit of background on these research briefings and specifically, you know, taking a look at the methodology and the approach that you take in creating these reports? Sure. Uh, Limo has been researching social media for, we've had an annual study for about five years or so. And in the beginning, companies were, we were just asking, are you even using social media? You know, do you even know what it is? And um, the, the industry has advanced pretty quickly from there. We now, you know, started looking at how companies are not only using social media themselves, but also how advisors are using it. And for a while, companies would do social media or their advisors would do it, but not both. Whereas today, companies kind of tend to do both. They tend to market on their own with social media, but also allow their advisors to do so too. So we decided to really break that out into a separate study. And so we reached out to our members and we talked to about 36 companies, more on the life and annuity side, but really across financial services, and really wanted to answer that question, how are companies supporting their advisors and their agents with adopting and using social media? So really looking at the shift that's been taking place between a brand approach now to an individual approach to social media. So I was curious, what were some of the main uh, findings or themes when you went through this research? Well, we found that many companies actually have initiatives in place to help support their advisors and that most allow their advisors to use social media. In the past, there was prohibitions, but even today, even if companies may not have initiatives in place, there's very, very few that actually actively prohibit use by their advisors. Mm -hmm. And, that, that, and that's been a big change, I think, because initially one of the biggest roadblocks for a lot of organizations was the fact that the, uh, I think the default position was no. I mean, that was the typical answer for most organizations. And part of that was because there wasn't as clear guidance, if you will. And I think that as time has moved on, organizations have started to slowly kind of dip their toes in the water, move into social media, and then their comfort level grows. And I say that because I've participated, I think, for the last three years at the social media conference that you guys put together. And I just get the sense, just the, the feeling is that there's not only more uh, comfort, but there's there's definitely more and more organizations that are embracing it. And that's evident um, in how creative they're getting based on those who are the recipients of the Silver Bowl Awards. Uh, when you look at some of the things that they're doing with social media and the, the types of create, creative approaches that they're taking, which really shows the, the, the evolution and the real quick pickup, if you will, that some of these organizations have in social media. Absolutely. Uh, we've actually changed the Silver Bowl Awards. In the past, we asked about, you know, the actual social networks, best use of Facebook, best use of LinkedIn, etc. But the industry has kind of adapted so quickly to that, that we're shifting to use more of a business goal, business objectives for our categories this year. So we're asking about things like the best use of social media for customer service or consumer education or recruiting, things that are much more targeted around business objectives rather than simply useful given platform. And Nora, I was curious, how, how do you find companies are training and supporting those financial professionals? There's a lot of different ways that companies are trying to support their financial professionals. There may be 
things from online webinars and trainings to things that are in person to group trainings to one-on-ones. Um, they're covering a lot of different areas when they're doing this. There's compliance training, but there's also functional training from things such as you know, setting up a profile on LinkedIn to more advanced training on things such as how to actually use social media as a business tool to be successful because that tends to be different than how you might use it for, you know, your own personal use. They're doing things like providing examples and templates and really trying to get at the different levels of experience with social media that their financial advisors might have. Interesting. And you find LinkedIn to be the number one most used across companies. Is that right? Yes. That that seems to be where companies are most comfortable allowing advisors starting first. LinkedIn tends to be known more as a professional network. And so companies are more comfortable having their advisors reach out to other professionals on that network. Whereas Facebook and Twitter are being used as well, but the focus starts at least with LinkedIn. Makes sense. Yeah, and it's interesting coming off the heels of last week's show with Marion when she talked about how she was really working with financial professionals um, as it relates to helping them with what you were calling the more functional use, the business strategy, and looking at different examples and templates to build a perfect profile. Um, what, what would you say are some of the main challenges that these organizations are having when it comes to the adoption of social in their organization? I think a lot of it stems from when we talked to our companies, stems from the variation that they have in their advisors. Com- um, many advisors have, a, like I said, a different level of experience with social media. Some have used it before, some haven't, some are interested, some are not. So when companies are looking at training, it tends to be a challenge for some organizations to, under- to really get the type of training that their advisors need. In addition, the idea of content tends to be a challenge for some organizations. As you know, there's kind of two main ways that advisors can receive content, either through their company providing content through libraries or the advisors creating their own content and sending it to company their company to be reviewed. And both of those tend to have some challenges for companies. Um, the content that they provide, they need to be sure that they have enough content that keeps their advisors with enough content to share without sounding, you know, like an automaton saying everything that everyone else has said. Mm-hmm. But when advisors create their own content, there has to be a really quick turnaround process for that content to be used. Mm-hmm. And some companies or, you know, challenged with getting that turnaround from compliance back pretty quickly. Yeah, which which starts, if you will, you know, we've heard this uh, come up a couple of times where it's the slow approval process takes away from some of the real-time nature of social media. So it's like you can't really sit on a tweet for two or three days. Um, and, you know, if anybody should post a comment and you want to be able to provide content, it does need a much quicker turn time. But though, there again, there's one area that I have seen a lot of organizations really pick up the staffing levels, if you will, or at least having a focus on the fact that the social uh, content does need a much quicker turn time. And I've heard some organizations that have gotten it down to, you know, four hours. Uh, I had one organization I thought had brought it down to close to an hour. So really placing, you know, resources. And I think that they're finding this out 
you know, as they grow and as they evolve, as they start using social a little bit more, they get more comfortable in finding out where they want to allocate these resources, but a greater and greater understanding on the real-time nature of social media. Yeah, I was also wondering, Nor, did you find that they were aware of that being a challenge, or was it just the challenge that kind of came up the most when you were doing your report? No, they were very aware of that. Um, the companies that we spoke with were eager to get their advisors on board with using social media, and they could see where these bottlenecks were, whether it was them having to create content or whether it was them working with compliance to get content approved. So it was definitely one of the stress points that they mentioned there on their own. Mm-hmm. And speaking of compliance, does compliance continue being a massive roadblock, or has it gotten a little bit better in the last couple of years? there. It's definitely the top concern of both companies and advisors. It also can be a bit of an excuse for some advisors as well when they are concerned about compliance and they're unsure of exactly how to use social media. Advisors tend to be really busy trying to do a lot of things. So if they're not really sure about it and they're nervous about compliance to begin with, it's a good reason for them to kind of say, oh, I can't get to this right now. I'll deal with it later. Yeah, so we talked about some of the challenges that came up in the findings, and you uh, articulated, you know, content. We talk about training, and we talk about compliance. But let's talk about some of the things that we saw that are critical to social media success. And I think one of the ones that kind of jumped out at me was, you know, the the three things, um, which I'd hope you'd share with us right now. So starting off, I think, with executive buy-in which is something we've discussed in the past. So can you share a little bit more about the corporate engagement and the importance that it plays in the adoption of a social strategy? As with most new initiatives, corporate engagement really is pretty critical with social media. It's really much more effective if you start from the top down, from executives agreeing and buying in and having resources to really fully commit to social media. Uh, I equate without having the executive buy-in, it's almost like you know having a phone, and you can use your phone, you just can't use the number five. And you know that's great. <laughs> it's, you know, it's great, but you can't do a whole lot with it that way. So um, beyond actually just the executive buy-in, there's internal training, which actually applies to executives as well. People that don't understand social media have a hard time approving resources or being able to manage it. So having not only training for the advisors, but also having training for compliance and legal teams, managers, executives, allowing them to understand how social media is used and actually having them use it their own. Um, I know I've heard from companies that said their compliance team uses social media and it makes it much easier for them to understand how the process works. Finally, it's just the idea of awareness throughout the organization. Social media is still, relatively speaking, new to the industry and to companies. So it's important for companies to really publicize what they're doing for social media, how it's working, and really celebrate those successes so that others can learn from them. All good things, Nora. The corporate engagement, executive buy-in, internal training, and then awareness. You know, and I was reminded as you were sharing with that, the importance of all three that is is reflecting. I'm looking at Eli. It's the exact same formula that we see across those organizations that I think are much further along, especially those early adopters. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, um, you know, it goes without a doubt that that executive buy-in, when you've got someone who at the top, you know, CEO or senior leadership, someone in the leadership team um, in the C-suite that's actually either tweeting or is an influencer, let's say, on LinkedIn, and we can think of a few individuals that have, have reached that uh, level of engagement, if you will, and their organizations then kind of gives them permission, you know, from a standpoint of they may still have some challenges or doubts when it comes to compliance, and yet when they've got a senior leader who's a practitioner of social, um, that really helps the process. And that extends also to the folks in in, uh, in compliance or in sales or marketing or someone in the home office that uses it. I think it's part of like understanding the language that's just social and feeling comfortable in that language, and it makes it easier for people to kind of translate and then find the business value. And what I was reminded of was a panel that I had moderated at the event last uh, year in Boston, where we had a great person from Mass Mutual, Doug Morin, who was the attorney, uh, kind of on the compliance legal side, and he was the first to admit that he was a little apprehensive, at least initially, in uh, the use of social media in their organization, but as he started using it, he, he kind of understood it, and once he understood the language, he felt much more comfortable to pass on, if you will, kind of the blessing for the rest of the organization to move forward, so really powerful. That was actually a really good session because not only did it include compliance, but it also had the brand team as well. It had uh, Kathleen Mako and Karina, and mm -hmm. it was talking about how all of them work together as a team Mm -hmm. as opposed to being at odds that sometimes companies talk about. No, and I really enjoyed, you know, being the moderator of the panel and, and the, you know, having the prepared questions, if you will, and kind of talking to all three. One of the things that I was doing is, as I was on stage, was asking the questions, obviously listening to the answers, but I was looking at the people out in the audience, and it's always very refreshing when you're doing any sort of presentation where you see these people kind of smiling and nodding their heads, and people taking notes. That's always a great sign when people are taking notes. So it, I think people are taking notice, and that was a great session last year, and I uh, look forward to uh, participating this year and uh, being involved, if you will, once again. Switching gears slightly, uh, one question we like to ask uh, for a lot of our guests who have, you know, uh, knowledge as you do in this space, what are the common characteristics of successful financial professionals that you find? We actually asked this question of the companies that we spoke with, and from them, we distilled basically four key characteristics for advisors that they found were more successful with social media. The first was simply being willing to try new things. As I mentioned, for many advisors, Social media is new, and so they have to be comfortable with just jumping in and seeing what happens and, and being flexible in that. In addition, the second was simply being proactive. Social media, as you know, is, is a communication channel. So it's not the same as setting up a website and waiting for people to come. You really need to be able to respond and, and communicate back and forth with people on your social channels to make it effective. The third thing that companies mentioned was advisors that used social media to convey their personality and to establish a sense of trust among their listeners and their followers. So it's not really, you know, the heavy sales pitch, but it's sending out content that's of value to the audience and making them see that you really are there for them as opposed to make that sale. And finally, it's really just advisors that are good at managing their expectations, that they realize that social media is not a one-and-done thing. It's not something that's going to have instant results. 
Victor, I like your analogy of building um, the relationship is like having going to the gym and trying to you know build those muscles. I've heard that a couple times. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I wish I could take credit for it. I can't remember where I heard it, and I thought, oh, that captures the idea perfectly, perfectly. Uh, just because I think everybody can relate to, you know, wanting to lose weight or get in better shape. And, you know, you go with all, you know, it's usually around January 1st <laughs> when that happens, yeah. and very optimistic and such, but it does take time. And so um, great study all around, you know, insofar as all the various themes touched upon. I mean, it was encouraged by the fact that there's, continues to be growth and adoption by various organizations and you know it was very validating for us from the standpoint that it really mirrored a lot of the same both challenges and opportunities that we're seeing out in the field so overall great study um eli yeah uh, absolutely good stuff there we want to really thank you nora for and the whole limer organization for continuing to uh to go through and doing the research and gathering the numbers and you know tapping into your membership really to get this information which is useful I think for the entire industry and you know I for one being someone who really is is pushing the raising the bar and adoption if you will for for social media and financial services this was extremely validating I'm glad to hear it so one of the things that we've been working on here at uh, Hearsay Social is really looking towards the future. Um, so we, for the longest time now since the inception of the company, have focused a lot on social media. And a lot of the conversation has started to shift, if you will, over the course of the tail end of last year and early this year in looking at the entirety of digital transformation. So while we've got you on the line, I was curious if you could share with us, where do you see digital technology going and evolving in financial services? I think that technology with regard to financial services is going to be strongly driven by convenience. Not only what's convenient for consumers who are on the go and want to, you know, check something on their on their phone, but also for advisors. I already mentioned, you know, advisors are really, really busy. Mm -hmm. And so being able to, you know, complete an application on their iPad or being able to check the status of something on their mobile is what's going to really drive how we adopt technology as an industry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what impact is social, mobile, and digital having on the financial services? I believe it's making our industry more reactive to consumer expectation. As consumers are able to do things on Amazon and check things online, they tend to expect that in other places. They check their bank balances instantly car insurance, all of that. So they plan to have that on other financial services products as well. I think what's important to note, though, is that digital doesn't replace current channels. Mm -hmm. It really is not about the extinction of the face-to-face. -face. It's really about adaptation. Mm -hmm. This really is, is omni-channel. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, it's more yes and this channel as well, as opposed to, okay, we're getting rid of this in place of something new. It's really combining and using the best of everything. Yeah, I think we like to say, and, and I think the best way we put it is it's using technology to enhance, you know, human capital as opposed to replacing it. And uh, that's, that's the way we like to think about it as well. Exactly. So great. Sounds like we're pretty much all on the same page, which is good. So I think working together and collaboratively will keep moving this industry forward, Nora. And uh, we really wanted to, to thank you for joining us. But before we let you go, can you share with us uh, where our listeners could find uh, more about you and, and research like this? Sure. Of course, they can go to uh, Limmer's website, limmer.com. 
Uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn or send me an email at ndenley at limra.com. So, Nora, on behalf of Hearsay Social and uh, my co-host here. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us and, and not only joining us today, but also sharing this research and continuing this valuable information finding in the industry, which hopefully uh, continues to move the ball forward. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, so that was our conversation with uh, Nora Denley of the Limer organization. And I can tell you, it's great to have them do a study like this. I really appreciate that they do. And then they start releasing the results because it's extremely validating. Yeah, um, you get these really good anecdotes from our customers, too, mm-hmm. that you know really show how, uh, how this data is really dead on, actually. Absolutely. And it touches on a lot of the themes that we've talked about in the past and looking at adoption of social and digital technology, the evolution that the entire industry is going through, the acceptable growth that we're starting to see from some of these uh, companies. And then what I thought was really interesting is just kind of talking about these characteristics of success, right? So senior leadership buy-in, the training, and then the practitioner use that's not limited, if you will, to senior leaders, but people who work in compliance and people who work in sales and marketing. And once they kind of understand the inner workings of how social media works on their own personal use or business use, mm-hmm. it makes it much easier for them to support a strategy that is supporting these additional dis- digital extensions. And that's kind of a theme that's been woven through, whether intentionally or not, a lot of our, our interviews and discussions is what makes someone successful in this industry in the various you know, sections. What makes a successful advisor? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, here this one was very uh, much the data-driven answer to that question. Uh, some of our interviews with uh, individuals who work in the space, we get the sense of what makes them successful or how they see success in others mm-hmm. who do uh, who are in the advisor space. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you take a study like this and you look at the numbers and then you go back, you know, you take these numbers and then you start having these conversations with our customers just to find out, hey, are these, you know, is this ringing true? Is this what's working? So we mentioned in the conversation, the panel that I had yes. uh, moderated that took place at the last social media conference in Boston that was with Mass Mutual. We had Karina Roy and Kathleen Mako, and we also had Doug Marin. And they were really good about talking amongst themselves how they had adopted a social strategy, how they had collaborated and worked together. And uh, I think what really came across to the audience in listening to these three individuals who were talking about their strategy and then the rollout of the strategy was how important it is for any social or digital strategy working interdepartmental you know, cooperation and collaboration for it to really work. So that, and that's a that's yeah. a consistent formula. I mean, almost every organization that we go to, and we start talking about social media, you need all these different departments represented in order for this to really move forward. And uh, and then having the executive, you know, buy in and people using anyway, great conversation with Nora. We really appreciate her taking the time to not only talk to us but taking the time to do the research. Absolutely. So one of the areas that we talked about with Nora as far as challenges for some of these organizations is concerned is content. Yes. And the challenge of finding content, creating content, curating content. So to that end, I wanted to invite today, and sitting here in Studio 360, we have Sanjeev Bakshi, who is in our business development group. So say hello, Sanjeev. Hey, everybody. And uh, Victor, thanks for uh, bringing me along. I mean, this is 
really exciting. You know, content is, is something that the business development team in, in particular has been, and it's been focusing a lot, a lot of our effort on. It's been, you know, you know, we've heard it um, over the past couple of years for probably about, you know, probably even since the beginning of Hearsay Social, that content is so powerful um, on, on, on social media. And, you know, as the, the partnership team has developed, it's been, it's been it's been phenomenal to see kind of what we're what, what, what we're doing these this day. Yeah, and so I wanted to bring in an opportunity just because we made a pretty exciting announcement in the middle of April, where we were introducing this new curated content channel that is specific for advisors and people in financial services industry. So I wanted to invite you in so you can share a little bit about what this means for the industry. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, this is this has been a very exciting um, and long um, and long process. I mean, it's something that. Um, you know, we look all the way back until probably early last year is when we decided, um, you know, to, hey, you know, our, our customers have been talking about it. You know, let's really start, you know, getting some wheels on content and figuring out how to make our clients very successful through our platform on social media. Mm -hmm. And from basically early last year up until, you know, the launch of curated content channels last week, um, we found that, you know, this offering now not only, you know, just helps content. It really focuses in on the 80-20 rule that we speak to pretty heavily on. It's the um, it's the idea that 80% of content actually needs to be around general interest topics, lifestyle context, giving yourself a voice, giving yourself, you know, making yourself human on social media, something that we've always embodied mm -hmm. um, at Hearsay Social. Well, I remember us being in New York last November, and we had a customer roundtable event, and, uh, and I remember Ron had kind of provided a few notes and a little bit of kind of a glimpse you know, from a product standpoint, or at least from a, hey, this is something that we're working on. This is something we've been considering now for quite some time. We certainly have recognized the challenge and the need for it. And so we kind of, I guess you could say we kind of road tested it from the standpoint of bringing it up and saying, is this something that we think would help you? And uh, as we are known to do here in Hearsay Social, where we don't really develop things unless we think there's an opportunity and our customers really want it. But we got very positive response there and saying, you know, we want to hear more. And so I was really excited to see that, you know, in, in what would be considered like four or five months after that meeting, that we already have something in the market that people can actually start using. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's, you know, that that's, you know, we've talked to so many customers. We've gone and sat in a lot of meetings with our customer success teams, talked to a lot of our existing clients and understood, you know, they were like, well, you know, I need content. Um, you know, I, I need content that I don't have time for somebody to go on to, you know, you know, you know, and NBA.com, go look up a local sports channel and go look up, you know, the Dallas Mavericks, or I don't have time to go look up the, you know, an inspirational quote from, you know, you know, you know, a writer or a poet right, or something right. like that. Mm -hmm. And that's, and, and finding that content is almost extremely hard for these people. And we heard that, um, and really, and really put that inside of the, uh, technology that we have, um, and curated content channels. Well, I've long maintained that content and social media is the fuel that drives the engines of connectivity and engagement. And so to that end, I was really curious if you could share, if people want to learn more about this, where would they go? Yeah, so to find out more, I mean, we, you know, most of the organization has now, is now I'm pretty familiar with it. Sales and customer success have been trained on the product. We've had, you know, in-depth trainings and sessions and webinars for everybody to learn about it. But the best way to probably go about that is, you know, if you have a contact at Hearsay Social, reach out to them, mm -hmm. um, ask them more about it. Um, you know, specifically for me, uh, you know, they can loop me in and I'm happy to talk to you one-on-one -on -one about that. You know, curated content channels is, is, is very exciting and you know, we're happy to talk to you more about that um, through that way. Great. We also have a blog post. We'll include the link on there that was written April 16th Perfect. and released by Ron, who talks a little bit about the program and some of the background on that. So, Sanjeev, thanks so much. We'll have you back on the show sometime. 
Uh, but we Look really want to thank it. you for the update there. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, so joining us in Studio 360, I've invited Nicole Johnson, my co-author, if you will, for the Advisor of the Future Executive Report, to join us because I just got back from Chicago. Yep. And uh, presented for the first time, if you will, the Advisor of the Future. So as many of you know, back in February, as part of our Predictive Social Suite launch, we also wrote the executive report. We actually recorded a podcast. And uh, from that, we transitioned a lot of the concepts, a lot of the themes, and we created a both an advisor version and a firm version of the actual presentation to go out to the field. So I had the good fortune this past week to actually present it to a group of advisors, um, about 25 in total and such, and just to really go through the concepts. And I got to tell you, it really resonated well. That's great to hear. Yeah. That's good. Good. So some of the observations, and as I've said in the past, one of the things that's really validating is anytime you're presenting material, uh, you're seeing people kind of nodding their heads and, and smiling or taking notes and such. And what I, what I found interesting and I wanted to share with you guys were some of the things that I think really resonated. And so I'm just kind of curious for those of you that might be listening, who follow the hashtag, and we use hashtag advisor of the future or the podcast, which is HS on air, you know, what your thoughts are on this. So a couple areas that we're really focused, and you know, it's probably no big surprise, but people, the idea of the buyer's journey that we talk about, insofar as that you have an informed public who's making buying decisions after actually doing research online, people get that. That that's a that's a message that I think everybody can kind of agree on. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about disruptive technology or disruptive companies that are kind of challenging the status quo of existing organizations and companies. So you look at a company like Uber, right? And we've all used Uber before and how that is really challenging the transportation industry, you know, across uh, all over the United States. And, uh, you know, as such as people are getting more and more used to using Uber or Lyft or some of these other kind of ride-sharing programs, that you're seeing the impact that it's having on the specific automotive kind of transportation industry. Um, talking about Airbnb, you know, how that's disrupting, Hugely if you will, yeah. the hospitality industry. Right. Have either of you used Airbnb yet? All oh. the time. Oh, you yeah. do? I've used really? it internationally. I've used it locally. I have like three just set up just for this year already. Wow. You stay in very nice, beautiful places. Certainly you don't get the amenities of a hotel, but you also don't get, you know, kind of the the kind of extra fees and service fees and tax and stuff for the hotel. You get to stay in very nice, quiet areas. For international travel, it's amazing. I'm actually going to use Airbnb for the first time. Uh, this summer, oh, when cool. the family heads out, we're gonna we're gonna do an East Coast tour that starts in Boston, works its way down to D.C., stopping off in New York and Philadelphia. And so I was doing the research, looking for places to stay, and Boston was our first city. I think we're gonna be there for three nights. I couldn't find a hotel room for less than two two fifty a night, right. at least because we wanted to stay, you know, near the historic districts. Right. And um, and so you know, Kim said, "Well, what about Airbnb?" And we had never tried it out. Yeah. So I'm encouraged to hear that you've had a good experience. So we and looked it up. And a good experience in Boston. Oh, in Boston. Okay. Yeah. So when we looked it up, and this is this was my first experience. I'd looked up places in the past, but had never actually you know committed to booking. And I took a look, and we found this great apartment, uh, like two bedrooms, so the kids have their own room. We'll have our own room, and it's I think in the Back Bay neighborhood, and so it's easy access to transportation and getting around. And when we made the booking, <laughs> I think this was the po funny part of the story for me, is um, the, the owner kind of reached out and said, you've never stayed in Airbnb. You don't have any sort of profile. Right. So can you tell me a little bit more about who you are and yeah. what you do? And I thought, well, okay, I, I get that. If I was a property owner, I'd want to kind of vet out 
who's going to be staying in my apartment. And and the funny thing is, I responded. I said, "Oh, you will have no problem finding me online." You know. Yeah, yeah. And I sent her, you know, my information and all the contact and social profiles, yeah. and she looked it up. And then she came back and she said, "Oh, well, you know, you were on Twitter and right. you're on all these." The, the, and she goes, "Oh, you mentioned you're traveling with kids. Do you want any recommendations?" I thought, "This is great." Yeah. You know. It's so very it was, personable. Uh, really personable. Yeah. Well, interesting. The uh, interesting that you just brought up that uh, they were they were um, it was easy to find you on on social because I was gonna. Add, um, it's because of the ease of sharing on social technologies that are, are allowing people like us to, to find it easier to share our homes, our ride, and, and other things that we're sharing online. So um, they found you easily online. And because of that type of ease of sharing, you're, you're feeling a little more comfort level to, uh, to take it a step further and, and share someone's home. So mm -hmm. uh, that, that's kind of the power of, um, of, of these new technologies and how it's kind of shaping um, how we're moving forward. Yeah, so, so, so transitioning to how this resonated as far as the advisor of the future executive report and the presentation was the fact that as people have kind of like accepting that these changes are taking place that are disrupting more traditional, you know, hospitality or transportation, you know, how, what's that mean to the financial services industry? Because there is that, you know, looming kind of, and I quotation mark threat of the robo-advisors, but it's this understanding of is our industry, and I'm saying financial services, are we in a place where we're open for disruption, and what do we need to do about it? Um, so one of the one of the topics that kind of came up was some of the advisors that I that I spoke to in Chicago were a little bit concerned of the fact that we currently don't have a review process. You know, I think the legal profession has a peer review process, but financial advisors have no real review process from the standpoint since the FINRA doesn't allow for you know recommendations, endorsements are kind of frowned upon you know, what electronic means outside of, let's say, an Angie's list or so, which can be very subjective, can people actually say, hey, this advisor is a four-star advisor versus five? It has nothing to do with performance. I mean, so we're just talking about someone who can actually be personable, you know, can have a good relationship right. that helps with word of mouth and things like that. Okay, so, and two other things I wanted to share, which I thought were really good, is this recognition of demographic shifts. You know, we talked a lot about Generation X, Generation Y, Millennials, Baby Boomer, Silent Generation, uh, but one thing that I started introducing in the presentation was a uh, concept of Generation C. And Generation C was actually something that Brian Solis of the Altimeter mm -hmm. Group came up with, which is really this Generation Connected. Mm -hmm. Right. So I have a question for you, um, Eli, regarding this uh, on the demographics and yeah. Generation C, if you will. It's connected. Do you have friends of your generation that don't use social media? They're not on Facebook. They're not on LinkedIn. They're not on Twitter. Very few. Very few, very, but there are some, few. right? Yeah. And I know the same with Gen X, and I know that you know baby boomers definitely, and then silent generation. So Generation C, just to put a kind of bow around what this concept is, mm -hmm. is the fact that regard it's not necessarily age driven. It's who's actually connected. Yeah. You know, so my dad, for example, you can follow him at Geo Gaxiola, inspirational tweets daily, and. He's in his 70s, and he's tweeting, and the stuff is funny, and it's great, and it makes you think. And so he would fall under Brian Solis's definition of this Generation C. Right. So it has more to do with not when you were born, but how connected are you? How, how much are you embracing digital technology? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. And then the final thing, as I said, was really, I can't, I got to tell you, succession planning and having a conversation about the next generation of, a, of advisors and investors, and basically the advisors are going to support this next generation of investors very top of mind with mm -hmm. all these um, advisors and thinking about how they're set up their practice and how they're going to be able to transition that practice to the next generation. But in transitioning and ensuring that that next generation still continues in the value system with the customer service experience that they've established and 
You know what I mean? And the way that they built this business, they want to make sure that it continues with the same themes and care. Yeah, I'm so glad to Mm -hmm. hear that that came up because you don't hear that as much right now, but it's good to know that that is on their radar. It's such a key part of of addressing the... um, the, the, the trillions of dollars that will pass hands from one generation to the next. I really, it's, it's that, that's encouraging to hear that that was a, a topic that came up as well. What, what, what more can you say on that, actually? I'm uh, curious, um, were there ideas that were presented on, on how to address the Well, a lot gen? of agreement, I'd say, in the concept, because I think one of the recommendations that we make in part two of the executive report is that if you don't currently hire or have a millennial or a person who's a digital native, it's a good idea to consider you know, hiring somebody that can kind of help you bring you into the 21st century to understand exactly how these systems work, the efficiencies that could come from digital technology, not just from the client-facing standpoint, but also your back office. You know, so some of the financial planning tools, some of the risk analysis tools, things like that. Mm -hmm. How can you integrate more technology into your business so that it makes it easier for you to connect with your customers, makes your, your business more efficient and productive? And so um, what we're finding is those that are really in agreement, you see a lot of the head nodding, you, you learn to find out that they've, what they've done is they've brought in someone in there as a junior broker, and mm-hmm. they're bringing someone in and they're starting to kind of condition them and set them up for the next stage. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. really, really It seems like exciting. a combination of both people and technology, you know, knowing the right. right people to bring in and then knowing the new technologies to, to kind of in, in, integrate into your existing model. So. Good. So if you haven't already uh, got a copy of the executive report that we uh, we released in February, it is still available on our website. So you go to the homepage, you can scroll down to the bottom, you'll find it as a resource. Go ahead, download the executive report. We're going to continue going out to the field with both customer events plus our own events, presenting a lot of the concepts of the advisor of the future. You can also listen back to one of the episodes that we recorded back in February where we talked about the advisor of the future. Mm-hmm. Just get a little bit more background on that. So. I just really, wanted to share that with you. Yeah, really no, enlightening and quick read. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it, it's it's so good to start hearing what's coming out of the field, and knowing knowing that they're really excited to to kind of get use those key takeaways and take those back to their home offices. So that's great. We really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and uh, and for those organizations that are listening that are looking for you know a speaker or if you'd like an opportunity, we'd be happy you know to look at the opportunity to come out, present the concepts, work with your uh, event team and the folks in your corporate communication department to see how we might be able to share this information or do the, do the presentation live. Yeah, I think that's great. I am really enjoying this, Eli. We've got, uh, we had Sanjeev join mm-hmm. us and then Nicole. Yep. You know, so part of this whole podcast process was just trying to discover exactly what content's going to resonate. Hopefully things are, and hopefully you out there that are listening are enjoying the show. So it's really great to be able to bring these folks. We're all working together, collaborating, yep. really making things better for our customers, and just kind of getting their opinions and thoughts on some of these activities that are taking place. Eli, you know what this means. I think I do. Oh, you know. Okay, I know. Ronnie Walk. Okay, so we have an update from Ronnie. So for those of you who've been following along on hashtag Ronnie Walk or also checking in on our Facebook fan page for Hearsay Social on the Air, I can share with you that Ronnie is currently in Kentucky. And I think the last time we checked in, he was about to come into Kentucky or had just got into Kentucky. But if you were tracking in your own map, and we've got one here in the office, uh, he started Green Up Kentucky, walked through Carter Caves, 
think these are all campsites. Uh, Moorhead, Mount Sterling, uh-huh. uh, Winchester, and he's in Lexington now. So, nice. so that's really under two months so far. Exactly. He started on March 7th. Yeah. Uh, I think he celebrated 500 miles in a month nice. on April 7th. And now we're coming up on almost two months on the road. And he's all the way in Lexington, Kentucky. So Well, he's got to walk 500 more. He's got so. to walk 500 more. That's correct. Yes. And he's making, I think, amazing progress. Although I think things are going to start warming up. Yep. And as he starts approaching the West, he's going to be crossing these very, very hot states. So yeah, I might slow him down a little he's bit. He's got a long road also. ahead still. But we're really pulling for you, Ronnie. If you're listening, buddy, we're thinking about you. Keep sending us those updates. For those of you at home, like I said, follow hashtag HS on air for updates on the show. And if you really want to specifically follow what's happening with Ronnie, use hashtag Ronnie, Ronnie Walk. Okay, so before we close the show, Eli, I thought we'd... Uh, Okay, I'm kind of crossing my fingers here. Let's check the mail back. You've got mail. Oh, there's a piece of mail. All right. Yes. Uh, this is an anonymous piece of mail from a fellow coworker who pointed out to us. What's with the anonymous? I don't. Uh, they you know. just All they right. just asked to okay. you know. It wasn't you. Not be ninja. It was not me. Um, I did definitely didn't write it to myself. <laughs> um, no, but they did point out that while we have asked the three questions at the end of a lot of our interviews with uh, hearsay social employees, we have not asked these questions of each other. Mm. So real quick. That's true. Victor, favorite color? My favorite color? You, you guys are all going to think I'm a shill, but it's uh, it's been red. Mm. And I know it shouldn't be because as a Bruin fan, we're, su- we're, we're, yeah. we're meant to hate red. Right. You know, be it Stanford red or Wildcat red or SE red. Yep. But I love the color red. I've always yeah. loved the color red. But I don't wear it. Right. But it's my favorite color. All right, fair enough. How about yourself? Uh, pink. I love the color pink. It was the color of uh, my ultimate Frisbee team at Middlebury College. The Middlebury Pranksters were pink. And uh, yeah, I think it's a manly color, especially when mixed with black. Well, which one, though? Is it like that little like pink, like light pink or like that hot pink? No, I want, I want hot pink. Hot pink? Yes. I'm, like the ones I'm they wear like... Enough. Like the NFL wears yeah. when, they, when they're doing their whole Re- breast cancer exactly. awareness. Real men wear pink. That's great. That's what I'm saying. All right. Good for you. Yeah, stand up for <laughs> and it. And then the uh, next uh, question was favorite movie. My favorite movie. You know, this is a really, really tough question because yes. anybody who knows me, I love movies. Same here. I mean, Cinephile absolutely love the them. And, and I really struggled with this and I kept thinking, well, what's like the politically correct choice versus which is yeah. the artistic choice? So... I guess to answer the question, if I had to hands down say which movie really just moves me on multiple levels in so far as the story and the narrative uh-huh. and the themes, it's going to sound strange. Finding Nemo. Oh, there you go. Finding Nemo. There are so many themes in that movie. One of that the greatest you, Pixar movies, really. It, yeah. Uh, but if you had to think like thinkers movies and things like that, I love things like Inception, sure. you know, those mind-bending type mm-hmm. movies. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. I mean, great. Classic. Movie about hope. And Did terribly at the box office. Yeah, and then yet found new life, if you will, after yeah. the fact when it was playing on television and DVD and such. What about yourself? Uh, my favorite movie, hands down, has been, always been North by Northwest. Really? Um, okay. I love Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Have Forever took a great Hitchcock course in college, but mm-hmm. long before that, North by Northwest, I think, is just a great blend of a very cool action movie while being very funny, very strange. Mm-hmm. It has great directing moments, amazing pacing, 
just a just top notch film. Yeah. In the in the subset below that, there's a lot of ties. I love old movies. Some movies like The Sting, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Paul Newman, Robert oh, Redford. Yeah. Just a great yeah. you know kind of heist heist movie that really gets you. Yeah. Um, I think. The movie that came out relatively recently that I thought had the best blend of just writing, directing, and cinematography especially was The Social Network. Yes, yes. I finished watching that movie and started it back from the beginning, like right away. I wanted to rewatch that. Fincher? David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin wrote the script, which is just a match made in heaven. It is. It is. And Um, and also did uh, Fight Club. Yep. Uh, he's done so many. He does great a lot films. of San Francisco-based movies. Really, mm-hmm. he loves the game. is mm-hmm. based in San Francisco. Oh, that's a great movie. Another great movie. That Another. I, that's one I love watching with other people mm-hmm. because really, like the Sting, it's just you. You've seen it, mm-hmm. so you get to watch them watch it, mm-hmm. and those moments, you know, shock is just the most enjoyable thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too, I'm a big like I follow certain directors that I like, like Christopher Nolan. Sure. I also like Wim Wind or Wim Wenders early stuff uh-huh. and. And, and more contemporary, I guess, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. Love Wes Anderson. Oh, Bottle Rocket's one of, one of my, sure. I think, one of the funniest films. But in, in all, not necessarily a box office hit. People either love or hate Wes Anderson. You yeah. either love the quirky I, stuff or I you like, just can't stand I it. I like the quirky, I like I the Fantastic it. Mr. Fox. Yep. I like, you know, Grand Budapest Grand Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel was pretty incredible. Even the Dar- Darjeeling Limited. I mean, mm-hmm. I like them all. Yeah. All right, next question. Uh, spirit Animal. Spirit animal. You know, I didn't go through the process of looking it up, and I know, as Steve had said, I think it's something people need to vote for you, but of of the, the animals that I feel like more kind of an affinity for, um, dolphin. Nice. I one. like dolphins. Yeah. Like flipper. Smart. Yep. You know, because they solve crimes, and yep. they uh, they can swim, and they can play <laughs> basketball and stuff. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Man, I can't do either. <laughs> Sometimes I <laughs> play basketball. <laughs> How about yourself? Uh, I go with an Alaskan sea otter. There you go. Uh, I see that. I've had that as my spirit animal since I was pretty little. I've loved sea otters. They're uh, just beautiful and hang out in the hang out in the seas and the bays of Alaska. And they use tools and they have little pockets in their uh, armpits for their tools. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is cool. And that is very you. Yes. You know, pockets in the armpits. Pocket, just so. like my arm, my <laughs> personal armpit pockets. Right. Well, thank so you, you so go. much. Those, I guess those we, questions, we'll yeah. close the mailbag. Close the mailbag. And Send we, us your questions, yep. whether they are about hearsay social, the company itself, what we do, the financial insurance uh, industries, any of those things, or if you just want to ask completely random questions, it is hsonair at hearsaycorp.com. Okay, so another great show. Good, lots of fun. Guest, yeah. content, information. So hopefully informing the people that are listening. I, for one, want to thank everybody for continuing to listen to the show and for providing your feedback and sharing the show with your friends and your family and sharing it with your colleagues and your pets. We're seeing the downloads increase on a daily basis, and we are really encouraged. We do this for you. We do this for everybody that's listening, and so we really do take the feedback serious. Let us know if there's anybody here as well in this building, in our organization, in our company that you'd like for us to interview. Yeah. We'd be happy to do that know as well. Know someone who works here or know of someone who works here you want us to do a spotlight on, we'd be happy to. Speaking of spotlights, so next week we have a very special Cinco de Mayo show. But until then, I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Eli Miniker. Adios.
You've got mail, 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 you've got mail, mail, you've got 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 mail, mail, you've got mail, 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 you've got mail. Got, got, got.